Do you have a favorite president? No. <laughs> Do you have a least favorite president? Andrew Jackson? That's a good choice. That's a very good choice. Mm, no, I do. I lied. I do have a favorite. Okay. You'd... Abe Lincoln. Abe? I mean, that's a good classic. Good classic yeah. choice. Stereotypical favorite president. Uh, my favorite president is Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, really? Yeah. Just because he's... Oh, yeah. I, I mean... I do like Teddy. He... He, had, he did some very questionable things, but... He also did some Teddy, great things. He also did a lot of awesome things, and just an all-around really interesting person. Yeah. But we're not going to talk about Teddy today. <laughs> oh, man. We're actually going to talk about the president that is most consistently rated as the worst president of the United States. Andrew Jackson? Ever. No, Where? surprisingly not. Do you know much about Warren G. Harding? Oh, uh, other than the name that I've never heard of? <laughs> No. Not really? No. <laughs> like you're about to. <laughs> Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm your host, Jordan Roush. I'm a guest host? Co-host. Co-host? Yeah. Guest co-host? Jeremy Roush? I'm keeping you around for now. So, yeah, so today we're going to talk about a president that not very many people know of, but one that is thought of a lot of, or is thought a lot as the worst president that the United States has ever had. Hmm. Warren Gamaliel Harding. Isn't that a fun middle name? Gamaliel. That has to be a family name. Yeah. Was born... He was born on November 2nd, 1865 in Blooming Grove, Ohio, to parents George Tyron Harding, most people called him Tyron, and Phoebe Elizabeth Harding. Tyron had been a Union soldier that had returned to Ohio from the Civil War just a year before Warren was born. Warren was the eldest of eight children. Two of his siblings died during childhood, but I mean, that's your typical rate of keeping kids alive back in that day. Sure. And his childhood nickname was Winnie because his mom had actually wanted to name him Winfield, but Warren's dad said that he wanted to name him Warren after his grandmother's maiden name. Hmm. So that's a, uh, <laughs> a name that nobody knew about except for his mother. Yeah. I have a friend that has a nickname like that, I feel like. Uh... Boo. Give a shout out to Boo. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> Go ahead. All right, that's it. <laughs> okay, so Tyron worked the family farm, but he wanted more for his family. So he started to apprentice with a local doctor while Warren was a baby. After three years of apprenticeship, Tyron went to medical school for a year and then opened his own medical practice in Caledonia, Ohio, because back then... All you had to do was hang out with a doctor for a little bit and then go to one year of school and then you were a doctor. But I feel like that's all it took to learn everything that they knew about medicine. <laughs> there wasn't much to know. Yeah. Yeah. So then after Tyron became a doctor. Because that was after the Civil War? Yeah, right after the Civil War. Yeah, so, you know, basically, you know how to use a saw. That yeah, was yeah, yeah. The biggest thing to know was how to cut off an arm. Yeah, amputate. Yeah. Um, and then so his Warren's mother, Phoebe, after Tyron became a doctor, she became a licensed midwife for the town and the surrounding area. Huh. 
Tyron was usually paid by his patients with livestock, farm tools, or land for his medical services, and as a result, he became an active trader and business investor. In 1876, Tyron acquired the local weekly newspaper, the Caledonia Argus. Warren started working at the newspaper at 11 years old, and he learned the ins and outs of the newspaper business. At 14 years old, Warren was admitted to the Ohio Central College in Iberia, Ohio. Let's also talk about how he, like back then, you just went to college at 14 years old. Yeah, right. <laughs> he And he basically was on his own. Like, he was living on his own. At 11? At when he four, started no, working. 14. Oh, okay. Uh, he worked his way through college by painting houses and barns and doing construction work on railroad gratings in the summers. In his senior year at college, Warren and his friend Frank Harris launched a college newspaper called the Iberia Spectator, and it was pretty popular among the townspeople. Warren was very handsome and was very popular with women in college. He was over six feet tall and had blue eyes, wavy black hair, and an olive complexion. Uh oh. I don't know. And his buddy and his buddy Frank Harris said that Warren knew every pretty girl within five miles of the college. During his last year of college, Warren's family moved to Marion, Ohio, so when he graduated in 1882, at 17 years old, because remember he started at 14, so right. 17, he graduates from college, he's okay. already owned a newspaper for a year. Warren Did joined, he own it, though, at the college? Well, I mean, it was just a college newspaper, yeah. but um, him and his buddy started it, like, from sure, scratch. but universities always claim. Right. Property. Right. Yeah. So yeah. he did have to give it up once he graduated. No, they really did. So yeah. he had to give it up once I'm, he graduated college. I know. So he moves to Marion to join his family after he graduates. And then he tries to figure out what to do with his life. So he went to school for three years. What yes. did he major in? No idea. No idea? So he majored in something for three let's, years. Let's call it general studies. Sure. And. His dad studied for a year and became a doctor. <laughs> that so, also owns a newspaper. Right. And still owns a farm. So, anyway. Yes. But back to Warren. Yes. So, trying to figure out what to do with his life, he becomes a school teacher in the one-room schoolhouse in Marion. He tries that for like a year. And then he decides that that's not for him. So, so they fired somebody in order to give him the job? Yeah. Because you only need <laughs> one teacher. Right. Warren then decided that he would become a lawyer. So he spent several months reading Blackstone's commentaries. Ah, yes. Which is how you would become a lawyer back then. You would literally just read a book about law. And then once you finish the book, you'd be like, I am now a lawyer. I know law. Sounds about right. (laughs) The only thing different between then and now is... They just added a few steps. Yeah, they just give you a degree after you finish all the books, and they test you. That's the thing, you get tested to see if you actually remember parts of the book. So, he's reading the book, but he gets bored, like, halfway through. That sounds about right. (laughs) So, he decides that becoming a lawyer is also not for him. (laughs) Then he gets into selling casualty insurance. While he's selling insurance, he starts a band called the Marion Citizens Band, And they were pretty good, and they started getting paying gigs, and Warren was able to earn some money with that. What was he With his band. I don't know. So we're talking late 1800s still? Late 1800s, yeah. 1880s? 1880s. He's probably got a flautist. Maybe. Maybe Maybe a drum player, maybe. Percussion. Percussion. I don't know. Yeah. 
think, yeah, 1880s instruments. Mm-hmm. And they were good, I guess. So with his band money, Warren went back into the newspaper business and bought the Marion Star, a daily newspaper that was being auctioned off when he was 19 years old. Ah, so in two years, he determined that he didn't want to be a lawyer. Didn't want to be a school teacher. Didn't want to be a school teacher. Started a band and used the proceeds from that to buy a newspaper. Yes, so he's back in the newspaper business. That's awesome. Back to his calling. So the newspaper came with an unlimited railroad pass that Warren could use to travel to anywhere on any railroad. You just be like, here, and you could literally go anywhere across the United States. She handed me an imaginary ticket. I did. <laughs> but that's a probably the best perk. Right. I think he only bought the newspaper for $300 since it was up for auction. Wow. So his first assignment that he gives himself, because he's the boss... <laughs> Is in June 1884, Warren heads for Chicago to attend the Republican National Convention to cover it for the Marion Star. Warren got to rub shoulders with some of the most well-known journalists and politicians, like a young Theodore Roosevelt, my boy. Warren became enamored with Republican nominee James G. Blaine and got back on the train to Marion so he could use the Marion Star to endorse him for president. When Warren got back to Marion, he found out that he was no longer the owner of Marion Star, that the sheriff had actually reclaimed the Marion Star. Um, something apparently had happened with the note used to purchase the star, so the purchase had been canceled. Bummer. Yeah. Warren and his father then worked for a few months to reacquire the star, and then it was finally theirs. Harding spent the next few years building his newspaper and reinvesting that money into local businesses in Marion. It was not only his way to help build the town that read his paper, but according to his biographer John Dean, it was to keep his nose and a prodding voice in all the town's public business. Warren would often use his newspaper to attack a local banker and developer, Amos Kling. In 1860, Amos's daughter Florence was born, and Amos was deeply disappointed in having a daughter instead of a son. So, he decided to treat his daughter like a son. Amos would take Florence, which he called Flossie, people and their nicknames, <laughs> to work with him as soon as she could walk. At 17, Florence decided to attend the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music. Amos opposed it, but finally relented and let her attend. Whenever Florence would return home, though, Amos would criticize her friends, her life, and how she spent her time. Florence fled her domineering father to Columbus, Ohio, with Pete DeWolf, who was only one year older than her, but described as Marion's youngest drunk. So, (laughs) the perfect guy to run away with. To run away with and to, like, rub in the face of your controlling father yeah absolutely florence then came back to what (laughs) is that why we dated and then got married because you were a young drunk (laughs) because i was a young studious fraternity boy young studious fraternity boy drumming my dad's face no um so she leaves with pete DeWolf. Then two years later, she comes back to Marion with a baby and no Pete. Uh-oh. Amos, Pete's baby? Pete's baby. 
apparently Pete decided that getting drunk was way better than having a job and taking care of his wife and baby boy. So Amos, Florence's father, offers to take the baby and raise him as his own because he always wanted a son, but he would not support Florence. So Amos has her son and she's just kind of doing her own thing in Marion again. She becomes a piano teacher to support herself, and she met Warren Harding when his sister began to take lessons. They began to date, and when Amos found out, he was outraged. Here, his daughter, who's already a disappointment to him from day one for just being a girl, is now dating a guy that attacks him. And this is his mortal enemy. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uses his personal news, or uses his newspaper as his own personal vendetta yeah yeah (laughs) amos told florence that he would disinherit her if she continued to date warren but she didn't care then amos began to spread the rumor that warren was part black and told local businesses to boycott the marion star this did little to deter the two lovebirds and they were married on july 8th 1891 Florence used everything that she learned from Amos to help Warren manage his business operations for the newspaper and helped it become a continued success. Warren began his political career in 1898 by winning a seat in the Ohio Senate and served there until 1903. Florence was very supportive of Warren's political career. She became known as the Duchess, the power behind the throne. Because basically, people thought that she was the one that would tell him she was the what to do, what to <laughs> vote on, what to say, yeah. and that he was just the good-looking face, and he was a man. Because yeah. she couldn't run for office, right. so she basically used Warren. Warren would use his political power to help his friends and family. He appointed his sister Mary, who was legally blind, as a teacher at the Ohio School for the Blind, even though there were way more qualified candidates. Basically, her only qualification was that she was blind. <laughs> even there's people that were like, hey, I'm blind, but I also know how to teach kids. Right. She's like, I'm... Certifications and education. Yeah, she's like, I'm blind. That's my... <laughs> That's it. That's my qualification. That's my qualification. <laughs> Harding then served as Ohio Lieutenant Governor from 1904 to 1906. He ran for the Ohio governorship in 1910 and had both President Taft and former President Theodore Roosevelt come campaign for him, but he lost to incumbent Judson Harmon. He had he had two former presidents campaign for him. They came to lost. Ohio and he still lost. They either really just didn't like this guy or they really liked Harmon. Judson Harmon, I think is a really cool name. They probably voted for him because of his cool name. Warren got back into politics when he was elected to the U.S. Senate in 1914. Warren mostly laid low while in Congress by not taking strong stands on any issues, but he was still widely liked by his colleagues. Looking ahead to the 1920 presidential election, many Republicans wanted Theodore Roosevelt to run for a third time. But, unfortunately, Roosevelt died suddenly on January 6, 1919. Many candidates quickly joined the race, but nobody emerged as a frontrunner. Warren then decided to throw his hat in the ring as well and announced his candidacy for president on December 17, 1919. He was like, well, nobody's really pulled ahead, so maybe this is my chance. (laughs) 
At the 1920 Republican National Convention, delegates were deadlocked over their choice for a presidential nominee. Some people liked one guy, other people liked another, but these two... Who was the one guy and the other? Don't, didn't write it down. Doesn't matter. It does. But anyways, so basically everybody was like, oh, you like that guy? Well, I hate that guy. I like this guy. And the people like the other guy hated that guy. So they're just polarizing. And so instead of picking one or the other, they're like, fine, we'll compromise. We'll pick a guy that's fine for everybody. We'll go with this other guy. So they picked Warren G. Harding to be the Republican <laughs> candidate because he was fine. Yeah. Because <laughs> he'd never, because while he was in Krong, while he was in Congress, the only things he voted on were things that were like for sure things that would pass. Yeah. And so he never upset anybody. Yeah. I mean. People didn't get a backbone though too at the same right. time. Right. Snakes have backbones. Snakes have spines. They they do. I'm taking that out. <laughs> this is my first introduction of that phrase. <clears throat> People are gonna be like, yeah, and Snakes have spines. But we're saying he doesn't, so he's not even a snake. No, you could still have a spine. But he doesn't have a spine, so what is he? But he's a snake. But that means he could have a spine, and we're saying he doesn't have a spine. Yeah, he doesn't use it. Okay. <laughs> but snakes use theirs. See? For evil. <laughs> Digging this all out. So, remember when I talked about how Warren was popular with the ladies? Oh, yeah. Well, he still was. What? And he's married he to He is Florence. married. Flossie. So, they had a strong marriage, but that didn't mean that Warren didn't keep looking around. He notched his tag, but he was still able to scout. Exactly. So, Warren had started a long-time affair with Carrie Fulton Phillips. Oh, that's more than just scouting. That is notching other tags. It is, yeah. He was very serious about looking around. Yeah. He didn't just look. So, Carrie was married to Warren's, one of Warren's really close friends, James, and the two families would often vacation in Europe together. Oh, so they were swingers. No, not exactly, because... Uh, James, Flossie and James didn't get together. No, they didn't know about it, or at least didn't know about it at first. Sure. Warren and Carrie would just sneak off while they were all at, on vacation together and go mm. do it, and then come back and join. After Warren accepted the Republican nomination, he disclosed this affair to the Republican Party officials. In return for Carrie's silence, the Republican Party agreed to pay for Carrie and James to go on a tour of Asia and the Pacific Islands, along with a monthly stipend of $5,000, which is about $64,000 a month today. Wow. And that, those they were, really wanted Warren. Well, that was her. They really wanted the fine guy. Well, they already, <laughs> they, they already picked him, and they're like, well, this is it. And so then after he found out that he was secure, he was like, oh, hey, by the way, I sleep with this lady a lot. And so when they were like, hey, lady, Carrie, how much would it take for you to not say anything? She's like, uh, $5,000 a month, and you're going to pay for my vacation to Asia and the Pacific Islands. Sounds about right. She knew what she was doing. Yeah. She knew. Harding ran his campaign on the theme of returning to normalcy after the First World War. Harding ran a front porch campaign, which means that Harding just stayed at home in Marion while other people traveled around the country campaigning for him. This basically was to make him seem like a normal man that could represent every American, but it could also, 
but it also meant that he wasn't out and about saying anything stupid that could hurt him. (laughs) His campaign approach worked, and Harding won the presidency with 60.2% of the popular vote, which was unheard of back then. 60, I don't think that's unheard of today. Yeah, that is unheard of today. I'm pretty sure that is unheard of today. Sixty point two percent. Yeah, it, he won by a lot. Right. Mainly because basically a landslide. Mainly because people were like, "This huge horrible thing happened." World War One, where all of these people died. Mm-hmm. We want to get back to how America was. Mm-hmm. Here's this really handsome person that is fine. Is. That's okay. all we want. Yeah, we, we just, just want a normal guy that doesn't have big ideas. Yeah. He likes to do a bunch of war. He likes to stay home and chill, and that's all we want to do. He likes to sonogram and chill. <laughs> yeah, what sonogram. Isn't that what they call the radios? That, that's like ultrasounds. Oh. Warren G. Harding was inaugurated as the president of the United States on March fourth, nineteen twenty-one. And wanted it as low-key as possible, because he's just a low-key dude. He nixed the parade and only had the swearing-in ceremony and a brief reception at the White House. Warren appointed many friends and campaign contributors to his administration, and they became known as the Ohio Gang. They were a good old boys club that would play poker at the White House weekly. Few of them were qualified to be in the positions that they held, but they enjoyed their newfound power thanks to their president friend, and they quickly began to abuse it. Alice Roosevelt, the daughter of Theodore Roosevelt, was a regular player in Warren's poker games. Oh, really? Yeah, we need to do an episode on her because she was just... So cool. So cool. Alice said of the White House, No rumor could have exceeded the reality. The study was filled with cronies, the air heavy with tobacco smoke, Trays with bottles containing every imaginable brand of whiskey stood about, cards and poker chips ready at hand, a general atmosphere of waistcoat unbuttoned, feet on the desk, and a spittoon alongside. Harding was considered a very good poker player, but he once gambled away an entire set of White House china in a single hand. The china could be dated all the way back to the presidency of Benjamin Harrison 30 years prior. Yikes. Yeah. So basically, once Harding becomes president and he invites all, he gives jobs to all of his friends, it's just a frat house. The White House just turns into a frat house. Sounds cool. Yeah, just a bunch <laughs> of parties. So just a few weeks after his inauguration, Harding approved the transfer of oil reserves that were in the Navy Department's control to the newly appointed Secretary of the Interior, Albert Fall. Albert Fall then quietly leased oil reserves in California and Wyoming to oil executives that had funded Harding's campaign in exchange for cash and stocks worth almost $500,000. And Albert Fall pocketed all of that money. Wow. Ned Doheny Jr. was the son of one of these oil executives and would bring the suitcases full of money to Albert Fall. When this embezzling scheme was found out, it was called the Teapot Dome Scandal after the Teapot Dome Field oil reserves in Wyoming. During the height of the investigation, Ned Jr. and his longtime secretary, Hugh Plunkett, were found dead of an apparent murder-suicide in their mansion. But this wouldn't be the first suicide of the Ohio gang. Wow. Or 
this wouldn't be the last suicide of the Ohio gang. It was the first. It was the first. <laughs> I think. I don't know. There was a lot of suicides. Yeah. I don't know if it was the first. But were they all suicides? Dun, dun, dun. Charles Forbes. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Charles Forbes was appointed as the head of the Veterans Bureau, which was a newly created office that was meant to oversee medical attention, the building of hospitals, and employment of World War I veterans. In the two years that Forbes was director, he embezzled around $2 million that were earmarked to go towards the building of veterans' hospitals. That's $2 million in... 19... 1920s money. Dang. Or yeah. 20s. Well, and you think about how much, you know, how bad, like, Veterans Affairs VAs get, like, how bad the news is of them now. The bad reputation that they have? Yes. Like, it just... How it started. It just started <laughs> off bad. It started yeah. off corrupt. It just started off on the wrong foot. Yeah. They should have just scrapped it and started over. Only 47,000 claims for disability insurance by veterans were, appro- were approved by Forbes, even though 300,000 soldiers had returned home from World War I wounded. Even fewer received job training. Forbes mostly spent his time partying with contractors. Rumors were starting to go around about Forbes' misuse of his, of his position, and Harding ordered him to stop, but Forbes just kept doing his thing. He started selling hospital supplies for a fraction of their value, and then he would pocket that money. When Harding found out, he summoned him to the White House and demanded his resignation. Forbes begged Harding to let him go to Europe to settle some family matters before it all dropped. Harding agreed. So Forbes left for Europe with another guy's wife. Jeez. That guy, whose wife left with Forbes decided to testify against Forbes in a congressional investigation. Forbes' chief counsel became so overcome with guilt that he committed suicide. Number two. Warren felt overwhelmed by the presidency and said, I am not fit for this office and never should have been here. He was happy to just let Congress set his agenda from then on and just to go with the flow. He would basically, if Congress approved stuff, he would just... Sign, sign it. it. Like, cool. Thank you guys. Did good. I'm just here to sign stuff. So Warren was president during the height of Prohibition, but that didn't mean much to the Ohio gang. The president served liquor in the Yellow Oval Room. Jess Smith, although never an employee of the White House, would use the Justice Department to supply the Ohio gang's parties with booze that had been confiscated by Prohibition agents. Smith had a small house that he shared with the Attorney General, Harry Doherty. They called it the Love Nest, and it had a pink taffeta bedroom. <laughs> and even though we're not sure, a lot of people think that they were lovers. Wow. During one party at the Love Nest, where Warren was in attendance, some New York chorus girls and Washington, D.C. prostitutes were brought in to entertain the men. Glasses and bottles were cleared off of a table so the chorus girls could dance on top. A bottle hit one of the prostitutes, a woman only known as Miss Walsh, in the head so hard that she was knocked unconscious and had severe bleeding. Harding was snuck out of the love nest quietly while everybody else just watched Miss Walsh die as they did nothing. They buried her body in a potter's field. 
Miss Walsh's brother found out what happened and threatened to expose it all unless he received a blackmail payment. The FBI director admitted him into St. Elizabeth's Mental Hospital. Wow. Along with all of the drinking and embezzling and murder cover-up that the Ohio gang did, they also greatly enjoyed their mistresses, obviously. And President Harding, having at least, you know, one mistress already that we know of, was definitely no different. Warren was still sleeping with Carrie and writing her, and so I guess you could call them love notes, but while he was in office, and I have a poem that he wrote her here. Yeah. I love your poise of perfect thighs when they hold me in paradise. I love the rose your garden grows. Love seashell pink that over it glows. Warren often referred to his junk as Jerry in notes to Carrie, and she would repeatedly write him back and be like, please stop writing like this. I don't like it. Stop (laughs) talking about Jerry in your love notes. He was like, no, (laughs) I'm going to keep doing it. Keep talking about Jerry. So these are actually uh, in in the Library of Congress. The love notes? Yes. Oh, my gosh. In another letter that Warren wrote to Carrie, he writes, Jerry came and will not go, (laughs) says he loves you, that you are the only, only love worthwhile in all this world, and I must tell you so, and a score of more of other fond things he suggests, but I spare you. You must not be annoyed. He is so utterly devoted that he only exists to give you all. Wow. like, come on, Warren. That's pretty dirty. It's pretty dirty, especially for the 1920s. Right. It's about as dirty as it gets. Right. That's something I'd have, I would have expected to see on MSN Messenger back in the <laughs> late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> just the fact that they're in the Library of Congress just cracks me up. Right. Another mistress of Warren's was Nan Britton. I also love like all these old lady names, but apparently these, just to think about everybody that was young and hot back in the day, but they had names like Warren and Nan. Nan had grown up in Ohio, and when she was a teenager, she had decorated her room with Warren Harding's campaign posters. Just like it's a teenage girl with a, celeb- full, with a celebrity crush. Locked her full of celebrity yeah. pictures. So after graduating from high school, Nan moved to New York to work as a secretary, and that's where she met Warren while he was campaigning for president. Nan started to work for the campaign as a volunteer in New York. One day, Warren took Nan to a hotel where he registered under a false name. In her memoir, Nan says that she wore a pink linen dress, which was rather short, and enhanced the little girl look, which he liked. Nan was 20 years old, and Warren was over 50 by this time. Shortly after they concluded their tryst in the hotel room, the door was bust down by the New York police vice squad, yelling, Let this poor little girl go! So apparently just a bunch of people had saw them in the hotel lobby. This old dude and this girl, who she was 20, but she was basically dressed as much younger than that, even though that's still a pretty big age range. And so they called the cops because they're like, this isn't okay. So they bust down the door. They're yelling at Warren to let her go. While trying to arrest Warren, he started to explain who he was. And then Nan recalled that the police suddenly became calm and strangely, respectfully, just left the room without another word. They're like, oh, you're Warren Harding? Okay, 
Bye. Keep doing your thing. Warren and Nan kept seeing each other after he was elected. Warren would often sneak Nan into a coat closet in the White House to do it and had a Secret Service agent knock on the door to let them know when Florence was approaching. So they could just, like, stop and be quiet, or he could quickly jump out of the coat closet and just keep Nan in there until Florence was gone. Nan became pregnant and gave birth to a daughter. Warren refused to meet his daughter, but secretly made child support payments that were hand-delivered to Nan by the Secret Service. When Florence found out about Nan, she went into a rage and poisoned Warren, but only kind of poisoned him. Not like dead poison. <laughs> Not dead poison, poison, just sick poison. And then she just started going on this rage about how she was the one that was actually running this country, and he better, you know... Buck up. Buck up and be more loyal to her, because she's the one that does everything around here. I mean, I think she kept him alive, because she doesn't have power if... He's not alive. Right. Then she also decided she was just going to let him sleep with other women because that's the way that she gets power. Right. He stays in office that way. Yep. He stays happy. She gets to pull strings. Be the puppeteer. Yep. It's a compromise. (laughs) I guess. Yeah. So it's hard to know how many mistresses Warren had while he was in the White House, but they include Rosa Hoyle, who is said to have conceived his son. Augusta Cole, who also became pregnant by Warren, but had an abortion. A Washington Post employee, Miss Alicott. And chorus girls, Maisie Haywood and Blossom Jones. Though I couldn't find her name anywhere, there was one mistress that committed suicide when Warren refused to divorce Florence and marry her. So that's suicide three? Yeah? When asked about his affairs by a reporter, Warren simply said, It's a good thing I am not a woman. I would always be pregnant. I can't say no. He just, he didn't tell reporters that he wasn't having affairs. Yep. I I like women. I like to do it with women. That's my thing. It was found out that Jess Smith was corruptly involved with the alien property custodian. If you don't know what alien property custodian is, it's basically the person that decides what we do with all of the property that America gets from enemy countries or if like somebody from an enemy country is in the united states then we decide to take their property then that's who oversees that and jess smith had also been taking bribes to settle matters before the justice department so he'd be like oh you don't want to go to jail well i'll take some money and i sleep with the attorney general so i'll take care of that for you harding told doherty the attorney general that was sleeping with Jess Smith, that he wanted Smith sent back to Ohio. On May 30th, 1923, Smith was found dead with a pistol at his side and his death was pronounced a suicide. Number four. But Alabama Senator James Thomas Heflin was suspicious and said, nobody else knew what he knew and with him dead, there was nobody to tell the story. So Jesse Smith was murdered. So at least one person suspicious Connected the dots yeah and, and it's kind of like all of these people just keep around dying. warren that are in a lot of trouble just keep dying mm-hmm. suicide it's pretty pretty suspicious in early june 1923 warren and florence set out on a tour of the country which he called the voyage of understanding he planned to be the first president to visit the alaska territory and then journey south along the west coast 
They would then get on a boat in San Diego and travel through the Panama Canal, and then finally arrive back in Washington, D.C. at the end of August. On July 27th, Harding gave a speech to 25,000 people at the stadium at the University of Washington, where he spoke about making Alaska into the next state. That night, Warren started to feel sick and went to bed early. He thought that it was just food poisoning. He woke up later that night complaining of pain in his upper abdomen and called for his doctor. He started to feel better the next morning, so they got on a train headed to San Francisco. After arriving in San Francisco on the morning of July 29th, they made their way to the hotel. Once in the hotel, Warren started to feel unwell again. Doctors found that he was experiencing heart problems and that he had pneumonia. He was prescribed bed rest, liquid caffeine, which is, I'm guessing, coffee? Red Bull. Red Bull. Rockstar. Bang. Yeah. And Digitalis, which is a heart medication. Warren slowly started to regain his strength, and his health began to improve. On August 2nd, he sat up in bed while Florence read him a Saturday Evening Post article on Warren that was titled, A Calm Review of a Calm Man. Florence said that she paused reading to fluff his pillows, and he told her, That's good. Go on. Read some more. She began to read again when a few seconds later, Harding suddenly started to convulse in his bed and then collapsed back gasping. Florence called the doctors into the room, but there was nothing they could do. Warren G. Harding was pronounced dead at the age of 57. The doctors wanted to conduct an autopsy, but Florence refused, in order that her husband be involved immediately. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. I mean, she'd already tried to poison him once before, or did poison him once before. And failed at killing him with that poison, but maybe succeeded this time. Yes. Did she find out about another, about another lady? Was she like, oh, we're getting close to the end of the presidency. I'm done with you. Was it just his heart? Who knows? We'll never know. His body was carried by train from San Francisco to Washington, D.C., and nine million people across the country lined the railroad tracks while the train carrying his casket passed by them. His vice president, Calvin Cool Cal Coolidge, then took over as the next president of the United States. Calvin Coolidge. Calvin Coolidge. Cool Cal. And that's the story of the worst president of the United States. The worst being the lowest rated? Lowest rated. What was his or, rating? Or just most rated as the worst president. <laughs> like, most oftenly rated. I guess you could say, as the worst president. So they, it wasn't that, like, during the time he had bad approval ratings. He actually had great approval ratings the entire time he was in office. But he's just regarded as a, the worst president. Looking back States. now. Because hindsight's twenty twenty. Because hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, His administration had nothing but scandal. All his administration did was... Play cards. Play cards. Drink. Vi- violate the prohibition. Yeah. When Yeah, when you tell all of America that they're not allowed to drink, and then you're having these ragers at the White House, and they had not only alcohol, but they also had prostitutes, they were gambling, there was murder, and who knows how many of those suicides were actually suicides. I think a lot of it could be traced to as, like, these people knew too much. It'd be interesting if they could do a modern day... Exhume? 
exhume, exhumation. Exhume, yeah, exhume, exhume the bodies and see if they could examine them. Yeah, maybe exhume Harding's body to see if he was Florence did anything to it. See if his casket smells a little fishy. Yeah, <laughs> smells a little bit like rat poison. <laughs> right. My sources for this episode were A President of the Peephole by Carl Sferraza Anthony, The Most Scandalous President by Carl Sferraza Anthony. This guy really likes to write about Warren Warning. G. Harding. Yeah. Warren G. Harding by John W. Dean. The Strange Death of Warren G. Harding by Dr. Howard Markle. The Ohio Gang by Tom Lutz. Hidden History for Scandal You Can't Top Harding by Robert Watson. History.com article, Warren G. Harding. America's Horniest President by Jordan Michael Smith. And an an article by the Independent, Warren G. Harding. Oh, that's a great episode. Yeah, he just interesting president. Interesting, he. It's crazy who we elect for presidents, right? Yeah, and this guy, he, all he wanted to do was just be in office to help his friends out, yeah. and he just couldn't keep it in his pants. And I think ultimately that was his downfall. He was the epitome of just wanting to nepotism and wanting to. Yeah. I think we his friends out. I think we need to get Warren G. Harding's name out there. Because I think if you're like, who is like the dirtiest like president that we've had? I think a lot of people would think Bill, Bill Clinton. Clinton. Like that's, <laughs> that's the first name that you... And I think yeah. it's probably because he's most recent. Right. But as bad as Bill Clinton was, and was bad. Right. For sure. I think Warren G. Harding had it in the bag. Right. For dirtiest... President, especially, I love the article. Got away with so much. Got away with so much. Thank you for listening. Please go rate, review, subscribe to wherever you listen to America the Bazaar. Please go like and follow us on all social medias. If you would like to support this podcast, please go to patreon.com and search for America the Bazaar. The link is also in the show notes. Until next time, stay Stay weird, weird America. America. (laughs) Bye.